This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode two of Equestrian Legends. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and my guest this week is Major General Jonathan R. Jack Burton. Jack Burton was born in Berwyn, Illinois, on October 27, 1919. He enrolled in the Reserve Officer Training Corps, Horse Cavalry Division, while a student at Michigan State University. Upon graduation, he went to Fort Riley, Kansas, headquarters of the U.S. Cavalry School, enrolling as a second lieutenant in the 9th Basic Horsemanship class. He studied a variety of horse management and welfare skills, including shoeing, veterinary procedures, conditioning, marching the horses, and stable management. When the U.S. entered World War II, Jack and his regiment were shipped to Australia to prepare to fight as infantry under General MacArthur, and from there he was shipped to New Guinea. At the close of the war, Jack headed back to Fort Riley to teach advanced horsemanship. Between 1912 and 1948, the U.S. Army team was also the U.S. Olympic team, and so in 1950, Jack led the effort to form the United States equestrian team after the cavalry was phased out. For the 1948 London Olympic Games, Jack was selected for both the show jumping and three-day event teams, but eventually served as reserve. In the 1956 Stockholm Olympic Games, he competed on the three-day event team. He was the United States three-day eventing champion in 1947 and in the same year became the individual military champion in show jumping at the National Horse Show. After 33 years in the U.S. Army, Jack retired as a major general in 1975. In the course of his military career, Jack fought in World War II and Vietnam. He received every decoration but the Medal of Honor, including several Purple Hearts. He served as Executive Vice President for the U.S. Equestrian Team for 10 years and as President of the U.S. Combined Training Association for three years. In 1953, Jap helped organize the first continuous horse trials in the U.S. and had the honor of writing the first rule book for combined training. Denny Emerson referred to Jack as Johnny Appleseed of the early years of eventing, for wherever he was stationed, a new event would spring up. Jack was one of the first district commissioners at the Difficult Run Pony Club, which was organised originally as the Reston Pony Club. Together with his friends Jack Frist and Colonel Thackeray, Jack was instrumental in establishing the North America Junior and Young Rider Championships. He was a member of the three-day event ground jury for the 1982 World Championships in Lemoulin, and the 1984 Los Angeles Olympic Games and chef to keep for the U.S. dressage team at the 1988 Seoul Olympic Games. He was chef de mission for the 1976 Montreal Olympic Games. And most recently, he was vice president of the jury of appeals at the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games. He is a dressage, jumper and combined training judge, as well as a technical delegate. The U.S. Equestrian Federation bestowed the Jimmy A. Williams Lifetime Achievement Award on Jack in 1997. In 1999, he was inducted into the U.S. Eventing Association's Hall of Fame, and in 2007, the U.S. Dressage Federation inducted him into the Roomer Foundation USDF Hall of Fame. He is the co-author of How to Ride a Winning Dressage Test with Darlene Sordillo, published in 1985. 
Jack and his deceased wife, Joni, have two children, Jonathan Jr. and Judith. Jack lives in Arizona with his daughter and still attends events around the country. Jack, welcome, and thank you so much for being my guest this week. Good, I'm glad to be here. Well, I'd like, Jack, if we may begin with the very early days of your childhood and where you grew up and your family life as a boy. Well, I, I was born in Berwyn, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. And uh, I, from a horse point of view, I didn't do very much on some of the summers. I spent at a racehorse training uh, farm on the Kankakee River and just uh, fooled around uh, uh, walking the horses and swimming them in the river and uh, nothing uh, very uh, educational or <laughs> ambitious. Uh, it wasn't until I went to college that I got started more actively in riding. Uh, tell us about your family. Uh, did you have siblings? Were your parents involved with the horse world at all? Parents were not involved in the horse world. My mother was a, a teacher in Chicago. My father uh, ran a bakery, and uh, we, we had an active life, but it was not uh, horse-oriented. And where did you go to school? Well, I went to grammar school at the, across the street from the school in Berwyn, and I went to high school in the Cicero and then I went to Michigan State uh, in East Lansing, uh, Michigan. And there I got uh, going in uh, with horses because they had ROTC there, which was horse cavalry. And this uh, the training there was uh, based on the European system, and uh, we learned to ride uh, with a sitting chart and uh, the classical European seat, and we were also uh, able to play polo. We played polo intercollegiate, played in the very against Illinois and Indiana and, and Ohio, and uh, we uh, went to horse shows in uh, Michigan and uh, Indiana and Illinois, and we did some jumping and we uh, did some steeple chasing. And so it was a well-rounded equestrian opportunity. What was your family's reaction to your lifestyle with horses in those early days, Jack? Well, they supported me, uh, but they were uh, usually not involved in any way, but uh, didn't say no, and so we went on and on. So what were your strongest strongest memories growing up in Illinois as as a boy before you really got involved with horses? Well, it was just a normal existence. Uh, 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 in summer spent uh, at a, a horse farm and uh, very relaxed and very useful. And did you participate in any other boyish activities apart from horses, or, or were you a farm boy? No, we, we were in a suburb, and uh, I, I played uh, basketball, a little baseball, not much football, and uh, some tennis, and some running you know, while I was in uh, grammar school. 
When you look back on your childhood, Jack, how do you regard your education and were you a willing scholar? Do you have fond memories of that time of your life? Well, I did pretty well in school. I gave the graduation speech when I graduated and I was active in the in the music world and but and in the athletic events and stayed pretty busy. Was music or the arts significant in your life? Jack, and over the years, has it played a, a part in your life? Well, I, I was very active in the orchestra and the band, and uh, but uh, and I enjoy music, but it, it didn't have much place in the military and uh, in the equestrian world after I left school. Well, let's talk about that time when you left school, Jack, and obviously you had a very distinguished military career. Tell us how that all came about in the early days. Well, the war had started in 1941. I graduated in, in 1942 in June, and uh, four days later I was uh, at the cavalry school in Fort uh, Riley, Kansas, and took a three-month course there, which was horse-oriented. See, it still was a horse cavalry. And then I was shipped to the border in El Paso in Texas, and I was sent to the 1st Cavalry Division, which was horse cavalry. And I was sent out to Marfa, Texas, to E-Troop, and further to uh, Oyanaga on the Rio Grande, and we were patrolling the border to prevent uh, people from entering uh, since the war had started. Actually, we didn't find many mostly found rattlesnakes and <laughs> <laughs> but the Australians uh, complained to the United States that uh, their four infantry divisions they had sent to help the British in the Far East and the Japs were in New Guinea and uh, bombing Darwin and uh, Townsville and uh, they needed some infantry in case the Japs were going to uh, attack Australia from New Guinea. So the United States said, uh, we'll send you the 1st Cavalry Division without horses, and they'll be your infantry and, uh, and go from there. So we went out on uh, trains from El Paso to San Francisco and got on a Matson liner, which they'd to handle troops. There were 5,000 troops on the ship, and we zigzagged to Australia and landed at Brisbane at Brent's Wharf and went into a tent camp north of Brisbane. Then we trained a little there and got used to the climate, and then we went up to New Guinea and cleaned the Japs out of, out of uh, New Guinea, and then we uh, cleaned the Japs out of the Admiralty Islands, which the Australians had lost to the Japanese. This then became the base for the invasion of the Philippines. And the CBs came in and established in six months' time a naval base there to support the invasion of uh, the Philippines. Four divisions invaded the Philippines. 
and we were on the right flank, and we landed in the and took the capital Taklova on the first island. That we uh, the first island that we invaded was Lady, and the capital was Taklova. We took the capital, and then they moved us up to the main island, and we took the capital there of Manila. And we were practicing amphibious maneuvers to invade Japan when they landed the atomic bomb. So we went up and, and uh, occupied uh, Tokyo. And uh, things settled down, and uh, I had enough points to go back to the States. And so I went back to Fort Riley, and they were reforming the uh, Army equestrian team to provide a team to go to the 48 Olympic Games. So that got me back in uh, on the on the team, and I joined it as a young member, and, and we were then went on uh, to shows in the States before we went over to uh, Germany. Then we went by, by boat, and I went with the horses to uh, Antwerp and on to Munich, and we established a training base for the 48 games in Munich, Austria, uh, Munich, Germany. Well, I'd like to come back to that, that those days when, you, as you said, you enrolled as a second lieutenant in the ninth basic horsemanship class at, right. the, at the cavalry school, Jack. And we should point out to our listeners that in those days, you really did study horsemanship, you know, everything from, obviously from the military aspect, but also the riding, the shoeing, the veterinary procedures, the conditioning, every aspect of horsemanship, which has surely provided the foundation to you as a horseman. Yes, it was a complete course. For instance, they had a blacksmith school. We were given the opportunity to bend the metal, make shoes, and put the shoes on the horses. And uh, and they had the veterinaries there went through the various problems in, in taking care of horses. And it was all around, uh, beside the riding and the jumping and the steeplechasing and the, and the horse shows and the polo, it, <laughs> it was a very active equestrian experience. And as you said, you went to Europe. You competed, of course, on the uh, U.S. Army Equestrian Show Jumping Team in Dublin in 1949. That was just one of one of many competitions in in Europe. What are your fondest memories of that period in your career, Jack? Well, it was active. We we traveled by uh, train mostly and boats across to to, to Dublin to England. So there was uh, lots of uh, chance to be right on the ground and see how things were done. But the, but the shows over in Europe were well organized, and uh, it made us look up to their standards, and we had to follow their uh, routine. Luckily, we had uh, overtaken the horses that the Germans had captured, and they were had them up and. Uh, Warendorf, and we took that over, and they had several of their Olympic horses in this uh, group of horses, and so we took the good ones 
out for you, so we were able to acquire some dressage horses of advanced levels and, and jumpers, and uh, so we were well equipped with horse flesh, and that made it easy to go to the shows to have all kinds of horses available. Uh, from the situation. Well, you said you acquired those horses. Did you go in and handpick them? What was the arrangement, Jack? Did they willingly give them to you? Well, we won the war, so we took over. We went into Germany and occupied it. So we took over their equestrian remount station, which was up in the, in the middle of Germany. And the, the Germans had... had, had thousands of horses. Their, their transport was mostly horse-drawn. So, and they gathered horses from uh, uh, wherever they were. As a matter of fact, they I was riding in a, a show after the war that the, in Germany the French were putting on in the French zone, and I was riding a black horse, and a fellow ran up and said, you have my horse, and he was a Frenchman. And the Germans had taken it away, and uh, and so it was his horse, and he wanted his horse back. <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course, we put our Preston brand on the horse when we took over the, the group of horses there, but uh, we couldn't give him the horse, but uh, it was a nice horse, and uh, unfortunately, that's... Uh, Results of war, I guess. What type of horses were they, Jack, in those days? What stamp of a horse? Well, you had the German bloodlines, which were crosses of draft horses and thoroughbreds mainly. So you had good quality horses that could move and you could use for dressage, or some of them were excellent cross-country horses, so... We had the benefit of all that uh, particular breeding situation that the Germans had run, and it was to our advantage to to use these good horses. Now, who was your inspiration? Who were your teachers and mentors as you were growing up, Jack, in, in terms of you know developing your own principles as a young man and as a horseman? Well, at college we had a cavalry officer's uh, did the equestrian training, and they were excellent. And and then uh, I was on the team, and uh, Funny Wing, uh, Franklin Wing, uh, one of their Olympic riders, and Earl Thompson and uh, Simrowski, and those were the team members that formed before the war and then after the war, and after the war, when we constituted, and that's when I came under their tutelage. And so when you uh, spent time in Europe, obviously you were competing there, and in 1950 the uh, U.S. equestrian team was formed after the cavalry was phased out. How did that process happen, Jack, when the, the cavalry dissolved after the war? Well, Eisenhower was president, and they said, well, no, we no longer have horses in the army, so the, uh, <laughs> we went out of the horse cavalry business completely. And I, I did uh, manage to take 
uh, a load of good horses back by boat to Fort Riley that were to be uh, used to to help uh, our equestrian team. But it just stopped, just like that. And so did you stop and think, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life now after the war? Or was it an easy progression for you to begin your civilian equestrian career? Well, it was a new opportunity. Uh, We had to buy our own horses and we had to train them and we had to uh, get together to go to the shows and things. So it was a struggle and uh, uh, we did the best we could. What motivated you to do that, Jack? There must have been other opportunities after the war for a young man. What was it that drove you to establishing yourself, as a, obviously as a team member, but first of all as the horseman that you became? Well, it, it was in my blood. I've done nothing but horses, seemed like, since uh, my early years. And so it just continued. I was looking for opportunities. And uh, uh, and so we did the best we could. Well, opportunities you certainly had. You were, of course, on two Olympic teams, the 1948 London Olympic Games, where you actually were, you were selected for both the show jumping and three-day event teams, um, but rode, of course, in the show jumping team and then went on to the next Games, 1956, in fact, to Stockholm, where right. you again were on the three-day team. What are your memories of the Games, Jack? Because you have seen the development of equestrian sport, not just in this country, but around the world. And when you reflect on those times of those early Olympic Games and how you became a team member and what that really represented for you. Well, the Europeans work the competitions and the, the venues extremely well. They've done it for for many centuries, seemed like, and so it was good to see the way they uh, organized and, and developed cross-country courses and the stadium jumping courses, and it was uh, a lot to to the they had engine. For instance, in Sweden, the course was built by the Swedish engineers, and it was outstanding. Unfortunately. <laughs> The rain and it was slippery, and so it caused a lot of accidents. And two riders, uh, two horses were killed, and seven riders were put in the uh, hospital. But it was not. But the courses and everything was meticulously set up and organized and well run. When you can't can't have have you're liable to have accidents when you have such muddy, wet conditions. So you learned to compete and train horses in, in all conditions in different countries and went so brought that valuable experience back to the States and helped in the formation of the U.S. equestrian team and, of course, went on to be an important official under the International Equestrian Federation and the U.S. Equestrian uh, Federation as well. And having been a steward, you are, I think you also were involved with writing the first rule book for combined training, Jack. So those early days, were uh, there was a lot of uh, work involved in getting the sport to where it is today. Yeah, when you consider that uh, there, was, there was no international competition except to the Army. The Olympic Games, the Army set 
a team to to look to the games in dressage, three day, and jumping. And so there was no civilian basis at all in the United States. Whereas in Europe, there was a basis. And they, they had this system of events that they had for years. And, and so there is a steadiness on the European part. Whereas ours had to grow from nothing to where it is now. And it was hard going in the early days to to get enough riders and enough horses to compete. And, of course, uh, the Europeans were ahead of us as they are now uh, because of their organization. Well, this obviously developed the character that you, you have so famous for and your dedication to the sport, Jack. How would you characterize the values that you developed from that and, and what your strengths and weaknesses are? Well, you got to have a, a goal. You you you, you got to decide what you what you're going to do and how much effort you're going to provide to to develop it. So you got to take it step by step and uh, get the training, get the facilities, get the horses, get the teams, and put them together and uh, go from there. But uh, in the early days, it was a, a strain to keep everything moving in the right direction. Well, Jack, I believe you had a very romantic start to your marriage with Joni. Tell us about that. All right. Um, the uh, Australians uh, requested that the United States uh, provide some infantry since they had uh, sent their four infantry divisions in uh, 1939 to uh, help the uh, uh, British. And so they had no infantry and the Japs were bombing Darwin and uh, Townsville, and um, they thought that there was a possibility that they might invade, and they needed some infantry. <clears throat> the United States said, we'll send you the 1st Cavalry Division without horses. So we got on trains and went from El Paso to San Francisco and got on a Matson liner, that had been equipped to handle troops and had bunks on the sides of the room. So we carried about 5,000 soldiers, and we zigzagged with no escort to Brisbane to uh, the harbor, uh, Brisbane Harbor. And we went into a tent camp uh, to the north of uh, uh, Brisbane. And then later on, we went on up into the Admiralties and, and we helped chase the Japs out of the Admiralty Islands and eventually were in the invasion of the uh, Philippines and the Palladian. But about the third day, I was in... Uh, there at camp in Brisbane, the colonel, colonel called me in and said, I need to send somebody to a, a, a chemical warfare school in Brisbane. So you're selected. So I volunteered, and away I went, and I went down to Brisbane. The first night we went to the Lennon Hotel, 
which was the main hotel where MacArthur was staying. And uh, we were having dinner there, and I noticed a blonde, young, good-looking gal a couple of tables away, and I kind of went over and introduced myself, and uh, things were kind of loose in those days, and I... <laughs> Talked to her, and uh, we uh, then we went to the officers' club on Queen Street, which was a lively place. This is wartime, and you had uh, all uh, Australian troops, U.S. troops, and and um, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force. So, uh, officers' club every night was a lively place, and uh, had music and dancing and uh, etc. and. Uh, so I danced with her and uh, got the door pretty well. I got her name, got her telephone number, and then I called her. And I was a, a transport officer for the Seventh Cavalry, so I could get a jeep and I'd drive down <laughs> to Brisbane and see her. She lived on the river there in a house with her parents, and the things went on from uh, the initial. Engagements and uh, uh, blossomed on. So the, we went in the north to the Admiralties uh, to retake that. Uh, and uh, during the, uh, it was six months while they were building a, uh, a naval base there at the Admiralties that uh, we did nothing. So uh, I uh, asked for a leave and I, I, I wanted the. Uh, Boats, the small boats that went back and forth to to uh, Australia from the Admirals, and I went down. I went to Sydney and called up uh, the house and, and, and asked uh, Joni. Said, "Let's get married." <laughs> so she thought that over a little bit and uh, decided it was a good idea, and her parents agreed. So we were married, and her parents were there in Brisbane, and uh, that started the, uh, uh, the uh, marriage. So, how that, so how old were you at the time, and how long had you known each other before you got married, Jack? Well, I was born in 1919, and that was... Uh, 1942, so well, I was 20 some years old. Mm-hmm. 23. 23. And uh, what was the question? How long had you been together before you got married? Well, the initial uh, getting to know her was that uh, when we arrived in Brisbane, and uh, it was quite active till we went up. At, to uh, New Guinea and the Admiralties, and then it was after we took the Admiralty Islands that uh, we had a, a six-month wait while they built a naval base there, and so that, that's when I uh, got a chance to go on the on the uh, boats that went back and forth to Sydney and went down to Sydney and called her up and started things over. So that was about a, a six, eight months period that all this occurred. So after that, Jack, being still in the wartime, were you separated for any any period of time after you got married? Yeah, well, see, we went on 
uh, I went back to the Admiralty Isles, and then we went and invaded the Philippines and Leyte. And then uh, we went up and uh, we took the capital of Tacloba, and then when they sent us up to the main island, and uh, we took the capital of Manila, and we were practicing uh, amphibious maneuvers to invade Japan. And uh, so uh, they landed the atomic bomb, so we went up to occupy Tokyo. And so I was up there, so I had enough points to come home, and so I went back to Fort Riley, and uh, they were restarting the Army Olympic Equestrian Team, and I got on that. And uh, meanwhile, all the Australian brides that had married, uh, Yanks as they called them down there, uh, were uh, sent back up to San Francisco on a Matson liner, and she uh, landed in San Francisco, and then came to Fort Riley, and uh, we started uh, living together. So at what point did you start a family, Jack? And tell us about your children. Well, uh, we, have, we have two children. We have a boy and a girl. And uh, uh, I've forgotten the exact dates, but uh, they... Uh, they the boy was born in, when we were at Fort Hood, Texas, and uh, in the first cavalry division. And uh, the girl was born when we were in Hawaii, and uh, born at Triple Army Hospital on the fifth floor. So things just progressed naturally. Well, when you look back on your accomplishments, Jack, uh, which of those are you most proud of? Well, <laughs> Sweden and, and the event was a marvelous event. Unfortunately, I fell on the last fence and ended up in the hospital. But th that was uh, kind of the climax of uh, event riding. And I... Uh, I use it as a basis for going on from there. The jumping, the show jumping was uh, fun and exciting and caused me it had to, to learn to, to go in these big events and uh, compete against their finely developed team. So I think it was a good learning experience. Have you had a, a life motto that has helped you through life and through your career, Jack? Well, always trying to move forward and, and uh, keep things uh, progressing smoothly and in balance and overcoming the uh, problems. What gives you goosebumps, Jack? It gives me goosebumps are these sudden refusals you have when you're going cross-country. <laughs> <laughs> goes one direction and you go the other. <laughs> That's probably the most useful one. How have you overcome adversity? Well, I keep the objective in mind and don't let the distractions overwhelm you and keep working towards the goal and work as hard as you can and 
apply what you've got available to, to try to complete it. Does anything intimidate you? Uh, I don't think so. What, what makes you laugh? What entertains you, Jack? Oh, what, what entertains me is when I go around the country and, and see the people that I've known for a long time and see how they've progressed and how their events have progressed and how the sport is uh, moving. It's uh, a pleasing experience and uh, worthwhile. So what would upset you? Uh, I'd like to see us moving in the direction that they, and, and re- raise it the standard that they have in Europe and the organization they have. We're such a spread out, big, uh, enormous area. We don't concentrate and organize and equip our teams as well as the Europeans do. I'd like to see us do a better job of that. Do you have a constant source of joy? Yeah, existing. I'm trying <laughs> That's better not enjoying existing. Who who is your biggest supporter, Jack, and what does that mean to you? Well, they're all dead now. (laughs) 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 All my teammates are dead. Johnny Russell's still alive, but he was the last one. With the others, Fuddy Wing and Earl Thompson, all the old timers have gone. Johnny Russell's still at it, and I'm still at it to a certain extent. So uh, we, we hope for the best. What is a typical day in the life of Jack Burton now? Well, I'm uh, living with my daughter in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, life is very simple and easy, and uh, I, I do quite a few shows that, uh, and, and go off for two or three days and judge massage shows and uh, events, uh, which keeps me active in the horse business. And uh, I keep corresponding with the various friends that I have in the horse world. And has there, in, when you look back on your life, Jack, been a single event that has actually changed your life, has been a, a pivotal point? I think the first time I went to went with the team to Madison Square Garden, and we we competed as a team, and it was a crowning uh, part of my career. And uh, I I went with the horses on the train. We <laughs> we went from Fort Riley to New York, and so I I was engaged in the minutia. And I enjoyed every bit of it, and uh, competing internationally like that for the first time was uh, quite a thrilling experience. Well, as as I said earlier, you were influential in the development of the U.S. equestrian team, which is now, of course, morphed into the U.S. Equestrian Federation. And you were also, of course, with your good friend Jack Fritz and Colonel Thackeray involved with the formation of the North America Junior and Young Rider Championships and watching that develop over the years, Jack, how do you feel when you look back at it and, and watch it now and to what it has become uh, the championship that it is now? Well, it's progressing and it's stratifying and it's 
getting better organized, and so you you know where you are and where you're going. It was pretty uh, fluidy and uh, slippery <laughs> in the early days. And <laughs> things weren't as uh, permanent as they are now, so the structure is uh, much better, and we're we're stronger than we were in the past, and we've come from nothing to quite a pretty sensible organization. As I said, you have done so many things, not only, not only written, written rule books, you've also been the author of books yourself, including How to Ride a Winning Dressage Test, and, and you're known for being very well-read, Jack. So what books would you be reading now? I, I read all the publications. I, I take the Chronicle and every, I think every publication in the horse world, and that's mainly what I, from the horse point of view, I keep up with uh, with the sport. And I know that you're also a new media man. Uh, you are on Facebook, and uh, uh, somewhat, for someone that uh, has caught, kept up with technology and with progress, not just in the sport, but in everything that involves the sport. So what does the Internet actually mean to you, Jack? Well, it's a means of communication, and uh, you get other people's views and uh, other people's opinions, and uh, I think it, it's, it strengthens the foundation by, uh, because there is talk and opinions expressed, and uh, it's, it's a good environment. Well, finally, Jack, for the respect that you have had over the years in the horse industry, there are many listeners who would be interested to hear what you would advise them in terms of developing as a horseman? That's where we're, we're not as good as the European. We need to have a structure where you, you get, get the basic training correctly and strongly, and, and then you have organizations that develop the uh, competitions, and we do that pretty well, but we don't do it as well as the Europeans. So improving what we have should be our objective and making the structure uh, more complete and follow the, the, the way that the Europeans do it. And at the end of the day, Jack, when you close your door, what matters most to you? Well, <laughs> I'd like to see that something has gone on that made things easier and better that day to, to make things smoother. Wonderful. Well, Jack, it's been a joy to have this conversation with you. I want to thank you so much for being part of this program and for all that you've done for the horse world. Well, I appreciate your, your efforts and thank you very much. Please join me again next time when we hear from another equestrian legend. Until then, thank you for listening.